Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, August 15th of 2023, where laypersons and pastors gather at 6.30 a.m. each Tuesday to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday, and this Sunday is August 20th. We're working to be faithful to Lectionary Year A, and we say hello to our, our special guest returning back to the team today in just a moment. But first, here's how it works. We prepare independently in advance of the discussion after receiving some formative questions from the week's leader. And then in this podcast, we share, question, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us for today's discussion. Sarah Mickelson from Tampa. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. Nicole Parton Abdenor, Tampa, Florida. And I'm Don Upton. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it's good to have Reverend Dr. Nicole Parton Abdenor back with us, uh, Associate Pastor of Palmasia Presbyterian Church. Always happy to have you, and not just because we love you and really look forward to your comments, but Palmasia Presbyterian Church is the church that makes this podcast possible. And the person that's going to make the discussion possible today, who's on point, is our friend Bill Hull. Uh, how are you doing, my friend? We're looking forward to, uh, to your questions. Thank you, and welcome to my team members, especially Nicole. It is good to have you here. And um, in a moment, we're going to read uh, together Matthew 15, verses 10 through 28. The lectionary offers an option for part of this. I've chosen to read, to have us read the whole passage. In just a moment, because this passage is almost exclusively dialogue, uh, each of us on the team are going to read a different part, and it's going to move quickly back and forth. So uh, before we start, by the way, we're reading from the new Revised Standard Version updated edition. There are just two minor changes in this passage from the new Revised Standard Version. Uh, because we move quickly back and forth. Let me make sure all of my team members are ready. Everybody? Okay. Um, the word of the Lord from Matthew fifteen ten to 28. Let us listen. Then Jesus called a crowd to him and said to them, Listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples approached and said to Jesus, You know that the Pharisees took offense to what they heard when they heard what you said. Jesus answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if one blind person guides another, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to Jesus, Explain this parable to us. Then Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. 
These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord. Son of David, my daughter is tormented by a demon. But Jesus did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. Jesus answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs from under the the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed from that moment. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. God. Now, the, the lectionary passage as we read it, including both portions, present two seemingly unrelated narratives, or at least they might appear to be unrelated. And in the questions that I offered this morning, we will deal with the first two questions, in the first two questions with each of these portions on its own. And then the third question will involve seeking to bridge the first two stories. Now, question one, and Sarah, I'm going to come to you first here in a moment. Prior in the earlier part of this chapter, the lectionary, where the lectionary has us begin, Jesus and the Pharisees and scribes engaged in a debate over hand washing because the religious leaders accused, apparently accurately, the followers of Jesus of breaking the tradition that required washing one's hands before eating. This is in the first nine verses of this chapter. Then, In the lectionary passage, Jesus engages with the crowd and his disciples in an explanation of his message to the religious leaders, which was, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Sarah, how is this message relevant in your life of faith today? Listen to the... uh... Sermon Brainwave um, podcast with Matt Skinner and Joy Moore and um, Caroline Lewis. And I really, there was something that Matt Skinner started with that caught my ear. Jesus is scrutinizing those in the first part of this passage. Jesus is scrutinizing those who take a liberating message and make it exclusionary. Both in the time of Jesus and in today, I think we see this particular um, discouraging act uh, present in our world um, with people claiming what they understand Christianity to be 
and what Christianity behavior looks like and what dress looks like and hairstyles look like and um, and, and how it might differ uh, from church to church and what's acceptable and what's not. Um, so I think Jesus is presenting us with a new understanding um, just how wide is God's mercy is the question. Um, Joy Moore said, do our actions silence or contradict our words? I thought that was really a good thought, um, that blindly following the law does not embody the law. Really a profound thing to say. Um, in the workingpreacher.org article from 2017, uh, Mitzi Smith uh, posits that the preceding narrative implies that one's race, ethnicity, gender, disability, and class does not defile a person. And so I ask the question, how then is this Canaanite woman excluded? Canaanites were the people, as I understand it, in the property in the land of the Holy Land before the Israelites came. And so they're the ones that got kicked off. Um, so there's some friction in these two groups. Um, and I said, do you think Jesus is responding to the stereotypic ra Jewish rabbi? Um, and, and, and would, or is he responding to our, our Canaanite woman or both? So I think that um, a Jewish rabbi would challenge those in his circle, um, and I think this conversation is going to challenge those who have what they believe to be a concrete understanding of what's appropriate and right, and what God would have us look at as appropriate and right. Um, so I think this is a really interesting passage, and I think it is relevant today, because I think we're still continuing to understand our roles and our relationships. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, Don? Uh, subtext, a note I made to myself. Uh, Christian, get over thyself. So if you're, you're bringing it up to today. <laughs> uh, loud and clear, I got it. Uh, and I hope I get it tomorrow and the next day. I need to write it on a big board. Get over thyself, please. Uh, and uh, it's just, uh, Sarah, you started there. takes us into traps, uh, assumptions, things that I hold precious. That can be very damaging. So it, I know the light is meant to be turned on the reader, on myself. So I turn it on myself. What small things do I do that create breakage, uh, alienation, uh, isolation? Uh, the smallest words sometimes are the assumptions that I may make. So Christian, get over thyself. Uh, bring it up today. I also uh, have a few parts in it that I I think, and I'm interested in what you folks think about this is. You know, I've been taught and learned that you know, don't don't look at others, look at yourself. When we look at this, it's about our heart and what comes out of our mouths and what happens to me if I do things inappropriately. That I am harmed by those things. I got it, got it. Okay, don't do it. Well, I don't listen, but I do it. I, I got it. But this is a passage that I think has a special dynamic where we are encouraged to look at others, and I don't mean as the critic. But this works best when we see the dynamics of the world and what other people say, not to be in judgment. You know, this is dealing with judgment and isolation, but it sure works better if I can say to myself or I can say to others, I do remember how someone restricted their power 
their energy, their intended love by expressing themselves in a way that was not constructive or inappropriately. Now, I, this is not instructing me to go out and wag my finger at people, but we, I think we all know, we've seen, think of it about somebody that we care about that just took a wrong step and did harm, you know. And I, we're not there to school, but it's like, oh, I've seen it. And I think, I think this passage in the writer is saying, remember, Jesus is right that if we don't think or if we hold things too dear and, and we exclude people with it, don't you remember people doing harm? Remember. Now turn it on yourself and do it. But I think there's a, there's, a, there's a dynamic here of looking at the world and where that's happened. And then, so that's one. The other is to look, I think, in ourselves. And then there's the unseen listener and guide. And part of it is for today, the spirit, for this writer, Jesus' voice. But I think what goes along with, with that and with the Christian walk is the friend. So we've got look at yourself. Observe what others have done. It's true. We can do terrible things. We can do, and not even know it, terrible things. Jesus is expressing himself extremely sharply here to make a point, I think, or even making a mistake to make a point. Uh, but I think it's the friend. I'll just wrap up with saying, I remember when people had taken me aside and said, you know, Don, you don't do anger very well. And I needed to hear it, to thinking I was being constructive. And it's like, you know, that doesn't do you well. You've harmed your ability to do the things you want. If you're expressing love or want to make change, that ain't it. And and that, then I can think back, gosh, I remember when people have fallen back and make statements, and they've restricted their ability to express themselves with love, which is what this woman's doing. She's trying to express love in the most disciplined, aggressive faithful, demanding way, but it's love behind it. She's doing it, I think, in a very appropriate way under the circumstances. That's what I've got, Bill. Thank you. Uh, that was helpful that this involves both looking at ourselves and in reality we do observe others and have responses. Nicole, you're, how is this message about hand-washing and tradition relevant in your life of faith today? I think this is extremely relevant <clears throat> text for us. So we might not argue over hand washing today. You know, the hand washing in this text functions as a um, as an acknowledgement of the ways in which we can sometimes hold on to tradition and our practices, which are, are present for a reason. They've served us well. Um, they're meaningful. Uh, they're helpful. And yet, um, if, if we if we hold so fast and so closed um, to them, it can have us missing out and acting and leading and being in the world and in the church in a way that is actually uh, sort of antithetical to the ways in which Christ calls us to be in the world. And uh, so this text always for me raises raises that question. Um, I think as people of reformed faith, we we often do a really good job of 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 
of holding of holding on to tradition, <laughs> of lifting up tradition. We are very proud um, of our heritage and from where the places from which we have come. And in many ways, we um, that's precious. Um, it's very precious to us, and that's okay, and that's good, and it serves a place. But I think this passage calls us to always hold that intention to where. Christ might be calling us into a new way, into a new pattern, because as the Reformed Church, we are, as we like to say, we are Reformed and always reforming. And so uh, for us to, to take a look at some of those rituals, some of those practices, some of the things that we have clung to and have served us so well, um, like hand washing, um, but that might take on different nuances and that we may have elevated to a point of being idle. So I, I think this text helps us keep those things in check. And while it is certainly um, applicable to me as an individual, as Don was saying, and I think it's important to work on ourselves, I think reading this text from my particular context as a pastor and a leader of the church, it has me always mindful of how how are we as a community. And it's really hard when you're talking about this text from the communal aspect of it, because it's not just it's not just me, uh, but it's but it's Bill and it's Sarah and it's Dawn. And even though we hold much in common and we value so much, I'd be willing to bet often we'd go in four different directions, to, even if it's to get to ultimately to the same place. We would feel very passionately about the choices that one another, one another made. So I think that this text, this text calls me in my life of faith to maintain that kind of that bigger overarching perspective and to not get stuck in the weeds. Thank you, Nicole. You, as I was listening to you, it brought to mind, think of how we characterize worship, traditional and contemporary, <laughs> which communicate to a lot of people, but <clears throat> we use that language. We, we call one style traditional. Uh, Don, you were sharing the first thought that came to your mind. Here's the first thing I wrote down. What a difference a pandemic makes. Does hand washing have a whole new meaning worldwide now? What were we most often <laughs> encouraged to do at the height of the pandemic? Uh, I was raised by a registered nurse mother. You better believe <laughs> hand washing was instilled in me from early on. So my point is that hand-washing for safety of myself and others makes sense. Requiring it as a religious ritual, I think, is the, a problem here. Now, another thought that occurred, and I think I'm echoing you, uh, Nicole, this is not intended to say that all traditions are misguided, are, are not useful. 
currently the adult faith formation class is led by Reverend John Ryder. We're using Tish Harrison Warren's book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, Sacred Practices in Everyday Life. And it's an amazing book that last week it was about drinking tea. For some of us, it's drinking coffee. Uh, That those rituals of our daily lives can be a liturgy, an experience of the presence of God. It's a very engaging book, and John's doing a great job leading us through it. Uh, And so it's not condemning all traditions or rituals. I think it comes down to Jesus is challenging the use of a tradition in a way that becomes a barrier to relationships. It's either or. And I I think that's the core issue here. Thank you, team members. Now, question two. We're going now to the second part of this narrative. This unnamed Canaanite woman addresses Jesus as Lord three times and once also as son of David. She then implores Jesus to heal her daughter, who is, quote, tormented by a demon. How does the interactions between Jesus and the woman shape your understanding of who Jesus is to you today? Don? In the past, I don't know whether I was trained to do it, or it's just from my heart. This is one you run away from. It's confusing, sharp. It's got a pinch to it. And in recent years, the other way for me, uh, it's not just about Jesus. It doesn't work unless if you're speaking as an attorney. You know, what are the facts of the case? They have to be inserted here. It's not just the plea to the Lord. It's not, oh Lord, how long? It's not the psalm. There are specific facts of this case that are lifted up and the engagement with Jesus. And we have to pay attention. Uh, and it is you know, closely connected in the, the, the span of the book to uh, thousands of people being fed when there's nothing for scraps there. So we already have this overarching theme of scraps of pieces, little pieces, actually having the same weight. If you put them on a scale, little piece of bread, little piece of fish, has the same way as tons of fish, as far as I'm concerned. It does the job. It does it. But where are the facts of the case here? And it's this plea, this imploring that makes it real. So I, I'm going to go to a very narrow answer, which is uh, jolts abound in Scripture, just like they do in real life. That's where my reading of this has changed, that it's Jesus and Jesus and the facts. When Jesus walks in a room, walks into a field, sits, on a flat plane to give a sermon. Jolts abound. And and it's not that it's not peace be with you, but it's a part of the life journey that we're on. There are jolts there, and I think this is encouraging me not to look away. And I'm, I think I'm allowed to look at this in many dimensions. She's real. I believe she exists. I believe that there were facts of her case. I believe that it was intentional. Not just desperation. She says, oh, Lord, she please. She knows what she accomplishes herself before him. Uh, but uh, that's, that cuts across every archetype, every, everything that divides us as well. So she's playing two roles. 
in this. But I start with the fact that there are specific facts of a real person here that that uh, seems to divide her, but it doesn't. So I, uh, as I say, jolts abound, uh, and we can't make if. To the first part of the scripture, if I want to make the pinch of this go away, I'm not reading it carefully. If I want to make the pinch of this go away, I'm not a good and faithful reader at all in the 21st century. I have to confront the pinch here in order to step into a world where I am not blocked uh, by all the assumptions and all the things that Nicole's talking about that I would hold dear as a part of my faith, my tradition, everything. That's, and, and there's a promise here. That, that if I confront the pinch, there's Jesus. It's not Jesus, and by the way, here's some facts. It's, here's the facts of the business of life, and here's Jesus too. Here's Jesus too. It's a, it's a flip for me as I've read this over the years. So is, is Christ shocking when he rocks in a room? Yeah. But is the world around Jesus shocking? Equally so. You put them together, and we've got, I think, the, one of the greatest stories in all the gospel. Here she comes. Here she comes with great weight. And then the scraps we can, we spent other uh, uh, years in the cycle, Nicole talking about the scraps and what they are. And I'll just go great weight, great weight, whether you're going to talk about what Jesus meant to call her, what it is, the small scraps, the children, the dogs, whatever it might be, this little piece of Jesus does it but it needed the facts. That's what I've got, Bill. Thank you. And I agree with you. We should not avoid the pinch in this. Uh, Nicole, what do you take away from this interchange? Yeah, I appreciate Don's reflection. This is a pinch. It is a jolt. Um, In many ways, I don't like this text. Um, I don't like Jesus. I don't like the Jesus of this text. I mean, it it takes me a while. I want Jesus, the good shepherd. I want Jesus, the prince of peace. Um, That's who I want to be met with. (laughs) But there, I I think the value for for a life of faith in this text is that life life happens. Um, Life happens to each and every one of us, and... There are things that happen in this life that are traumatic and they are heartbreaking and they are difficult and they are burdensome. And we go, hopefully, we go towards God. We go and we place those things before God. We petition Jesus and as this woman does, And I think that what this woman offers to us in her interactions with Jesus is there will be times where we may be called to to wrestle, um, to be persistent, to um, just kind of continue knocking on the door. The response the Jesus that we are met with may not fulfill what our desire is in our approach, but this text allows us to continue to come forward 
in our rawness, in our vulnerability, um, in our fear, in our anger, and that doesn't make us less faithful. It doesn't make us less faithful. So in some ways, there's a beauty to this text. It always takes me a while to get, to get there because, like, I, I mean, I, I want Jesus to respond immediately with compassion, with mercy, with care. And uh, but life is hard. And we don't we don't get immediate resolution in life to hard things. And this woman doesn't. And she continues to be persistent. Um, and so I think for I think for me it is an invitation that I I do not need to be afraid by what sometimes the the scary emotions for me, fear, anger, um, are. I can, I can bring those to Jesus in all of their bigness and their rawness. Thank you, Nicole. Sarah. I wonder if each of these characters are seeing each other through the lens of expected prejudice. Um, one is One is moving beyond that with intention because her need is great. And I would guess that her love for her daughter is fierce. And I haven't met a parent who wouldn't go to great lengths to heal a child, to get a child seen by a doctor, to make sure the specialist has all the information they need to address the medical condition of the child. Matter of fact, I, I would dare to say that this isn't just true in humanity, it's probably true throughout nature that the maternal and the paternal instincts of, of some species are so strong that they sacrifice themselves for their child. So I see this woman crossing gender boundaries. I see her calling out to Jesus, and he sees her, but he doesn't respond. I see her going beyond social boundaries and entreating Jesus, and he speaks with her, triggering prejudicial language Using, using language that is hurtful, reminding her of the expected separation between Jew and Canaanite. She disregards the verbal slur. She kneels. She humbles herself. She begs for the healing, the table scraps. And Jesus responds to her desperation. And he sees her driving need and the intrinsic motivation for it. It's not selfish. At least I don't perceive it that way. And Jesus responds to her faith-filled and persistent petition. And I think this answers for us, how wide is God's mercy? It's that wide. Jesus listens to the foreigner, because that's who she is. He listens to those outside the circle. We've seen evidence of that in other stories. He responds to those who are bold enough to approach and ask. Like Hagar like the Samaritan woman at the well, she persists like the woman who presents her case before the judge and annoys him so much that he gives her justice. Mitzi Smith says, never underestimate the power of a persistent woman and the God in whom she believes 
I think that's the other thing is this this woman holds an expectation for Jesus and says, this is the God I think you are. Step up. Which is really provocative. I think she clings to the understanding of who she knows God to be. And she presents that to Jesus and Jesus responds. Well said. Thank you, Sarah. Um, One of the commentaries I read is entitled Connections and uh, of man seminary professor Lance Pate, his first sentence in his commentary is, quote, this passage read aloud in Christian worship is a scandal, end quote. (laughs) That's how he begins his commentary. Um, This is a Gentile woman in a non-Jewish area speaking in a loud, demanding voice. The New Revised Standard Version says she was shouting, Jesus, and according to biblical scholar, um, I just lost his name. When I think of it, I'll mention it. Uh, he he says that's it's she's shouting at him, and she implores Jesus to help her besieged daughter. And Jesus's response is a scandal. I resonated with what you said. Nicole, I I don't like Jesus here. This, this isn't what I would expect. Um, However, the parallel passage with this is in Mark 7. And Mark adds this detail when Jesus leaves the earlier discussion of hand washing and he travels to this Gentile area. It says, Jesus entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there yet he could not escape notice. <laughs> I remember as a pastor going in early, sitting at my desk, drinking coffee, wanting to have my thoughts to myself, and the phone rings or a knock on the door, Bill, you got a minute? I guarantee you it was never a minute. <laughs> so I have some empathy for Jesus wanting to be alone nevertheless. Uh, Nicole, I'm with you. I, I It takes some work to get through my expectations of Jesus. We know that on numerous occasions, Jesus insisted that the children be allowed to come near him. He said, unless we become like a child, we cannot enter the kingdom. So what is he up to here with a mother? And Sarah, you dramatize that well for us, of a, a parent, especially a mother, is going to do whatever it takes to get help for her uh, child. And you alluded to the parable in Luke 18 of the woman who just won't leave this judge alone, just in effect badgers him until he does the right thing. Now, in that parable, Jesus commends the widow's faith. In this story with the Canaanite woman, he says, great is your faith. In both instances, Jesus is commending bold and persistent behavior and uses it as an illustration of faith. I'll say more about that in the next question. Thank you. Third question. And uh, Nicole, in a moment, I'm going to come to you first. This is the bridge. 
since the lectionary bridges these two stories, Nicole, how does the juxtaposing of these passages impact your understanding of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ and, and yours today, Nicole? We're people of a confessional faith, and part of the confession that we profess uh, is that Jesus is fully human and fully divine. I think it's very easy to neglect the human nature of of Jesus, and uh, and this text doesn't allow us to do that. <laughs> um, you know, I think that's that's part of the that's part of the bridge of of this of this um, pericope um, of Matthew's of Matthew's remembering is we we can't forget that the life and ministry of Jesus was lived out in this world um, with all of the moving parts uh, that make up human nature and our human experiences. And Jesus was very much fully present within that. Um, His life and ministry was lived out uh, fully human and fully divine. And uh, there's, there's some, I think there's some encouragement for me and for my own life of faith for us. Um, There's some, there is some hope in that. Um, You know, on the, on the one hand, is this Jesus having a, just a, very terrible, no good, very bad day, um, where his where his humanity is shining forth, or uh, was this you know is Matthew remembering this text and saying, well, here's a really nice object lesson to really drive home the point uh, that Jesus was talking about in terms of things um, going into the mouth and things you know coming out of the mouth and coming from the heart. I, ha- I have a difficult time. Um, believing that 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 Jesus would utilize a woman uh, in her uh, deepest time of need as an object lesson for his uh, for his ministry, uh, but but Jesus living out his ministry fully human, fully divine, is just something that we have to live in, in tension with. And I think as the as the church and as people of faith. We can sometimes we can sometimes neglect um, the humanity um, and the and the rawness and the and the fullness of what that means. I think very it's very easy for us to um, to cling to the easy things of Jesus's humanity in terms of well Jesus ate and Jesus wept and aren't these things beautiful? They are and they're important. Uh, but this text also is equally important. Thank you. Sarah, how might these two narratives bridge for you? Two things. I think that uh, God responds when we reach out for him. Um, the persistence is, is a gift in that regard. Um, and that what we do is often more truthful and or damning than what our good intentions are. So actions speaking louder than words. 
and incongruencies in those things are are destructive to the kingdom of heaven here and now. The other thing that this passage lifts up for me is who's allowed to approach? And oftentimes, you know, the perspective, especially from traditional churches, is you got to look like everybody in the church before you can approach. I think that leaves a whole population feeling unwelcome and uncomfortable. And I'm thinking about, you know, if if I'm not the perfect ideal, am I allowed to approach Jesus? And I think that the story invites us to say, there's room at the table for everybody, no matter what. And And I think that we have to bear witness to God's mercy being that big. And sometimes we don't want it to extend to the people we don't like or the people that don't look like us or the people that might worship differently than us. But does that mean that they're not welcome at the table? No. I think that's a hard no on this story, that even this story breaks wide open and says, even though there are boundaries that this world will give us, Jesus steps across them. Thank you. Don, your thoughts on how this might bridge? Thank you. Uh, I'm with Sarah. People worship differently, and I'll add, but the pleas are the same. The pitch of the plea is the same. So you can walk into any room, any time and place issue. We may appear to be really different until someone says, help me. And that sounds just the same. No matter what, whatever existential issue there may be, whatever challenge it may be, we sure sound alike under those circumstances. And here we go. I think, I'm glad, Nicole, you were talking about Jesus as fully human, fully God, because, forgive me, if I were making a film of this, I would make it a time and place problem. So on one hand, the front end of the passage is about what comes out of your mouth. And I'm going to put myself into it and go, well, it depends. Where am I? Who's watching? Is it my people? You know, is it somebody kind of in breaking into this that doesn't belong there? So I, I uh, if we're going to deal with a fully human Jesus, be like, well, I want to help her, but why couldn't she meet me at the well when I was alone an hour ago? Why, why couldn't this be when some people were taking me aside on the hill? Why? Why now? It's just not, this is not a constructive time for this at all. I would do something like that. So for what comes out of the mouth, the first part of the passage is, I'll say there's a, there's a brutal contingency in that. I'm just being in my own heart. You know, don't, don't I look around and go, hmm, I'm going to say it this way, or this is a bad time. Or maybe I'll step aside or just say something. Not now, not now. And and it's it's the woman that goes now, now, which is the Jesus message. Now, it's happening now. Jesus is here. I am with you all through the in Matthew especially. I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm right here. It's happening, coming. Now I'm coming and going. Now I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Remember, remember, remember. I was in a church uh, not long ago that actually had a checklist on why if you can take communion. It was in the bullet. From our tradition, you may take communion if, and you had a little, you could take a pen and check off. What is that? 
you know. So the, I, I think time and place, I would play that out as Jesus is fully human. Not now. People are watching. I would have Jesus thinking that. And she's the one that breaks through. So the facts of the case come through. So the first part is about what we can do and how we can have a discipline of listening and this pinch of time and place, here it comes. But what is appropriate? What is proper? And have Jesus doing that as a human. Well, this is proper. Is the time right? Is it appropriate? Am I faithful? Ah, la, la, la. All those things going on. And then, bam. Is what comes out of her mouth proper, appropriate, current, good? There's the counter truth. Yes. What she did, what came out of her mouth, driven by love and urgency, is exactly what should come out of her mouth. It is, it is the only true thing in the whole passage mm-hmm. because it's from the gut, right? It's got, and that's why it pinches so much because I think she sounds like anybody else that's in a pickle like that. Sounds like all of us. And all of a sudden, we're one, we're one, we're one family. If you could take the pinch, you know, just tough. That's what I got, Bill. Thank you, Don. As I began to deal with my own question, I broadened the lens, lens a bit and remembered that last week we dealt with chapter 14, Jesus walks on water, and he ends up saying to Peter, you of little faith. So for me, a bridge is faith. You come to this passage, and Jesus says to the woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And in effect, I think he's saying earlier in chapter 15 to the scribes and Pharisees, your, your faith is distorted. You're, you're majoring in the minor. Uh, and so you're diminishing uh, faith. And um, it, it, the selectionary pairing reminds me that I can choose to act in ways that seek to elevate my personal preferences and behavior. That's one choice that the religious leaders made. My personal preferences are important. Or I can choose to focus on the human needs right in front of me and respond in ways that show, in the phrase of a friend of mine, creative empathy. He's written a booklet, and he sent it to me to offer my comments. I like that pairing, creative empathy, that leads me with others to seek effective ways to respond. And echoing what I, I think it was, well, each of you in your own way, God honors perseverance. There are times we need to not give up. And I'll end with this. However we want to explain the sequence in the story of Jesus and the Canaanite woman, the outcome, the end result is a fulfillment of what Jesus announced early on was his mission. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, anointed me to bring good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, which I take to mean any form of physical healing, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus got there. <laughs> but, Nicole, you're right. It, it, 
not in the way I would have preferred, but when I'm honest, uh, I don't get there immediately either. Sometimes I have to work through the barriers I create in my mind. Don, I'll hand it back to you, and thank you, team members, for reading and uh, reflecting. Thank you, Bill. Nicole, I was just, as we wrap up, just what Bill said, confronting the question of the disciples that runs through the gospel. Well, who is my neighbor? In this, here's fully human Jesus. You know, I'm I'm seeing a contradiction. I'm seeing seeing a problem here. I, I like it, but... You know, I, he says, "Let me tell you. Let me tell you a parable about a Samaritan. And you know, your neighbor is the person in plain view in need. I'm not sure if the man in the ditch even had a voice to plead, but he is obviously in plain view, time and place. Now, now, now. Jesus said that, right? Right? What's in plain view? Do you see the need? And here we are taking a little time. Difficult." But uh, that one's striking me as well. Uh, we're about to say goodbye, Nicole, but you're our special guest. Is there anything you wanted to add before we wrap up? Oh, I just appreciate this opportunity. But the last lingering thing, I think, for me is, as I consider this text, this woman was a, she was a disruptor. She was an agitator. And uh, as a person who is, um, I'm a planner. I like things in order. And uh, I don't like disruptions and I don't like agitation. But I think that sometimes God places disruptions and agitation in our lives and in the lives of the church because God is calling us to a different place. Mm-hmm. So for us to be mindful of that instead of discarding. That's great. In my little film, I think I'd have someone go over to her and go, shame on you asking now. What do you well, shame on you. Wrong time, wrong place. Bad, bad mom. Bad, bad, bad. Do something like that. Thank you. Well, for those of you listening in, uh, Palmasia Presbyterian Church is at 3501 West San Jose. That's in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to palmasia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A uh, for uh, all kinds of great experiences, including Nicole Sermon. I commend them to you. We all do. Uh, opportunity to listen to great music, discussions of lectionary, disagreements, prayers, reflections. Uh, so check that out. And as for this team, you're always welcome, and we'll see you next time.